He traveled all of the nation. He had written a best-selling book entitled The Kiss Principle. He, uh, he's the, the man, as I understand it, that started that, that saying of the Kiss Principle, keep it simple, stupid. And uh, Charles Tremendous Jones was his name, and I'll never forget uh, talking with him and listening to him preach. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we forget that, uh, th- that it's more, more simple than what we realize. We tend to complicate things. We look at all of the problems of the world, you know, and make them more complicated than what they, what they really are. We come up with this solution and that solution and, uh, it's, you know, not really that complicated. The Bible tells us very clearly the the solution. We just don't want to listen. Reminds me of a little story I read about uh, what do you call the guy who's born in Columbus. Uh, he grows up in Cleveland, but he dies in Cincinnati. Now, I'm sure you realize that's all in Ohio, and somebody's thinking, well, he's a Buckeye. No, he's dead. If he died in Cincinnati, he's dead. That's pretty simple. You know, we, we overthink things sometimes. And, and I'm saying all of that for a reason, and the reason is because I'm going to do something this morning that I almost never do. Uh, I'm not going to, to outline my message, so if you're expecting three points in the poem or whatever, uh, you might be disappointed uh, we're not going to do it that way today. And I'm going to base all of my thoughts this morning on one Greek word. It's, uh, it's actually translated by three English words. And we'll talk about that later on. But it's just that short little three-word phrase in English, but it speaks volumes. And I'm speaking on this subject because... God won't give me the peace to preach about anything else. And I learned a long time ago, when that happens, you better listen to God. I can think of a lot of different subjects I would love to preach about this morning. Uh, and, and, and yet, I mean, right up until, until yesterday even, I, I was telling Bev, I said, I got two or three things that I really want to preach today, and God's just not giving me the liberty to do it, so... And I'm not sure why, but I'm sure that this is what I'm supposed to preach. And, and since God never puts a message on a preacher's heart unless somebody needs it, uh, I know ahead of time that there's somebody, probably more than a few, that need what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you're looking for something that's entertaining, something that is exciting, uh, Again, you'll probably be disappointed, but if you want something that gets to the very core of what's wrong in America today, this is it. And unless I miss my guess, I doubt that you've ever heard a sermon just made up entirely of this subject. So turn in your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter number 3, and we're going to read... Verse 1, verse 2, and just a part of verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also 
that in the last days perilous, that's dangerous and difficult times, shall come. So he's emphatic about that. There's no question about it, contrary to what a lot of people believe, that we're going to finally get a fix on this world and we're going to make it a utopia, a fit place to live. Well, the Bible says otherwise. And it says, these perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Something terrible has happened. And I know that you can think of a lot of things to put on that list. But I'm talking about something worse than whatever it is that you have in mind. I'm talking about... uh, something that is actually the cause of what it is that you're thinking about. And that is the loss of natural affection. The loss of natural affection. The older I get, and the more things change, the more I'm reminded of what Paul says here in verse number 3. And of all of the things that he mentions in this chapter, this one is the one that's the most on my mind, and maybe it's just because of me. I I don't know. Uh, But maybe it's because, to me, it is the most shocking of anything that's mentioned here. And I say that because God created us as social beings in need of one another. And He also created us with a natural affection for our own family. And we see that even in unsaved people. There is that natural affection that they have for each other. You don't have to normally teach a mother to love her child. That's just something that happens by nature, but something has happened to change that. And, and that something is something terrible. And we live in a day where people are so focused on self-gratification that the word family means almost nothing to them anymore. And this isn't new. Think Roman Empire. You might even want to Google that. If you haven't studied to find out what it was like in those days, it was Horrible in the Roman Empire. But you might ask yourself, what happened to the Roman Empire? And we know that, that God brought it down to nothing. God destroyed it. And so this isn't new, but it's something that is worse than, that, than it's ever been. And by the way, it's getting worse all of the time. It's not improving. This lack of affection, natural affection, is so obvious that you can't miss it. Take abortion, for example. 1.6 million abortions a year in America. Abortion, which is the remedy for those who do not want to be bothered by a baby, has become so commonplace that hardly anyone raises a protest about it anymore. 
So, you know, if, if people don't mind taking the life of an innocent baby, what makes you think they're going to have any love for you? That's the day that we live in. And even within what we might call the very best families today, we don't see the closeness and the tender affection that we saw in previous generations. It's just not like it used to be. I mean, I've got to tell you, before I was saved, I was a drunkard, I was a thief, I was a dirty, rotten sinner in every way, and yet I had more respect for my parents than what most church members today have for their parents. There's something wrong. There's something wrong when things have changed so drastically in just less than a generation. Bev and I often talk about our parents and grandparents and and uh, how it was back when we grew up and uh, I loved my mother-in-law to pieces and uh, but boy I'm telling you what she could be hard to deal with too. Uh she was a red-headed fireball and it didn't take much to set her off and uh and so I'm saying that to say this, things were not perfect uh, between Bev and her mother. But I'll guarantee you one thing, there was always respect on Bev's part for her mother. Something that we see very little of today. Today, we look at families, we look at the very best families, and we see people are disengaged. It might be the TV or it might be the... It might be the cell phone, it might be the computer, whatever it is. It doesn't make a difference what it is, but people today are just disengaged from each other. I think the finest bit of medical advice that most doctors could give is to prescribe people to buy a front porch swing and sit on it for an hour every day. We need that time together, but people are disengaged. They're disregarded. We wonder why the children turn out like they do. We shouldn't be wondering about that. How do they ever turn out any better than they do? You know, that's the real question. They're just disregarded. They, you know, we just bring them into the world and expect them to grow up and make it some way on their own. And we just go through life holding them at arm's length. And then there's the matter of disrespect in families today. And that list can go on and on and on. And and the the problem is that it doesn't seem to do any good to call people's attention to the problem. I I said earlier that it's so obvious that we can't miss it whenever we're murdering 1.6 million babies a year. And I mean, right there is all of the evidence that we need. And, you know, how do you make people care... Or how do you make them, you know, start caring when they don't care by telling them they don't care? You can't. You know, I could stand on the pulpit in front of the whole world and and point a finger of accusation at people and showing them all of the evidence that there is not that tender, natural affection that we ought to have for one another. But they don't care. It doesn't make them any difference. So the question is then, why, why do I even raise this issue? Why am I saying anything about it? 
Why am I preaching about it if people who don't care can't be made to care by telling them they don't care? Why, why bring it up at all? Well, I'm doing it because this is a big part of the problem. And whenever I finish this morning, you're going to understand what I'm just said. A big part of the problem is not what everybody out there is doing. It's our attitude toward what they're doing. And things have become so bad that we've developed a why-try attitude. After all, wouldn't we be happier, you know, doing something else? Now, that's the way people think. I don't want to deal with this. I, you know, I, I could be a lot happier if I was doing something else. And we've got our, we've got our to-do list. We've got our bucket list, things that we want to do. We don't have time for those other things. So consequently, we become a big part of the problem because we prefer happiness to holiness and we don't have the time or the affection for those who do not aid us in the pursuit of what it is that we're looking for. And that's gratification. We don't have any time, we don't have any respect for people that's distracting us from that goal, because our main interest is not in other people, it's not even in God, it's what? Well, Paul said people would be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But let me tell you, regardless of how unlikely it is that we're going to be able to change the minds of people, we need to keep trying Although we can't change the world, with God's help, we can awaken a few. And we have an obligation to denounce sin and to declare truth, even if no one listens. So I cannot base my sermons on how it's going to be received by you. I can't stick my finger up in the air and see which way the wind's blowing to determine what I'm going to say to see whether you're going to like it or not. Sometimes we wonder, well, you know, why even deal with those issues because nobody's going to pay any attention to that and all you're doing is just wasting our time and we could be so much happier if you'd preach about heaven. And and that's what the problem is today. We don't want to deal with the problem. And it's no wonder, you know, we sit back and we wonder, what in the world is wrong with the world? And we can talk a lot about that. You know, if this was the only thing that was wrong, we would soon have all of those other problems. By that, we're talking about without natural affection. If that was all that's missing from the list, The only problem area, the only place where we fail, it wouldn't be long before we'd have all of these other problems because natural affection has an effect upon the entire family. And where there is no natural affection, it not only affects the children in that home, it reaches out beyond the walls of that home And the failure of one family leads to the failure of other families. They're adversely affected. And right now there are those that are setting their children up to fail. 
By the way, what you do affects your children to the third and fourth generation. It reaches out beyond you. It doesn't end with you. Because if there is no natural affection in your family and your children grow up without that, guess what? The chances are their children will grow up without it. And it'll progress and get worse and worse and worse. Now, if we're going to find out what to do to change this, then we have to ask ourselves, what happened? Because it hasn't always been this way. It's changed drastically just since I was a boy. In other words, if we're going to find the cure, we have to see the cause. Why is it there's no natural affection? It's natural, so it's something that, you know, you would think you just let it happen and it's going to happen because that's natural. So how is it that something that is natural suddenly becomes unnatural? All right, here's the answer. Without a doubt, it is due to our failure to keep the first and the great commandment. He said, well, what in the world is that? Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto the first, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, we fail at the second because we fail at the first. We don't love others because we don't love God as we ought to. And a failure here leads to a failure everywhere. Because if you don't love God who is perfect, you certainly won't have any love for other people. Now, as I said at the beginning, notice that phrase, without natural affection. That's three English words, but it comes from one Greek word, and that word is found in only one other place in the Bible. And that's Romans chapter 1. Turn there, and we'll look at it in just a little bit. It's found in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 31. Here's what it means. It means without natural affection. I told you it's not complicated. It means exactly what it says. You don't have to be a Greek scholar because that is the English interpretation of the Greek word. Without natural affection. It means literally to be unsociable. It means to be unloving and inhuman. When natural affection is missing in your life, you are inhuman. And I'm not the one saying that. That's what God says. You're unloving. You're unsociable. And it's this absence of love for the family that is normally instinctive that's missing today. Simply because we have failed in regards to our love for God. Now... As to the cause of this condition, the best commentary and explanation is found right here in Romans chapter number 1, starting in verse number 18. 
And if, let me tell you, if you understand this section from chapter 1, verse 18, down through verse 32, if you understand that, you'll understand why people are without natural affection. And in case you're not familiar with this section of Scripture, let me just, let me sum it up for you. Paul tells us that the root of man's sin is rejection, our rejection of God. Notice what he says in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, that is, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So nobody can paint a, a point of finger of accusation at God and blame God for failure. Now notice what he says in verse 21, because of when they knew God, That is, they look at creation and they recognize there is a God, a real God, that someone that created all of this. He is wise and He is powerful. He designed it. He created it. But notice, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up. There you have it. We see that it's man's rejection of God that leads to man's ruin. In other words, the result, the result of us rejecting God as the supreme authority in our life has caused us to fail in regards to loving one another. And so there's no natural affection any longer. That's why I often say that sin has its own built-in consequences or punishment. God doesn't have to do anything in order to punish you for your sin. All God has to do is say, you want it? There, you've got it. You can have it. Do it. And and that's what the Bible says. Three times he tells us, God gave them over, gave them up. They insisted, rather than submitting themselves to God, they insisted on loving themselves and seeking to gratify themselves to the point that God just says, there it is, you want to do it, have at it. Now here's something you need to remember. Although sin will manifest itself in different ways, It always has the same root cause. In other words, we look down through these verses here, and we see all kinds of different sins listed, especially toward the end of this. We see this list of different sins here. But the cause of all sin is putting self ahead of God. Now, listen carefully. The same thing that causes people to leave the natural use of their body 
think about it. I want it to sink in a little while. Because some people, you know, they tell us that, you know, that it's just normal. You you have these feelings uh, for the same sex and what have you. And since you have those feelings, it must be all right. No, no. The Bible says it's against nature. And it used to be on the books in our laws, crimes. In fact, it still is. We just don't enforce it. Crimes against nature. What the homosexual crowd is doing is not natural. It's a sin, a crime against nature. But listen, the cause of that is what? Putting self ahead of God. And the same thing that causes people to leave the natural use of their body and do things against nature is exactly the same thing that causes people to be without natural affection. It's the same cause. Not the same sin. It's a different kind of sin, but it's the same cause. Are you starting to see the seriousness of sin? You know, I can remember... I remember when I was a boy growing up, my, I never saw my daddy cry. Back then, men just, you know, they didn't cry. They didn't express their feelings. I don't remember my daddy ever, you know, taking me in his arms and snuggling me up close to him or anything like that. I don't doubt but what he loved me, but men didn't do things like that back then. And yet I was convinced that He loved me because He was there for me to supply my needs and what have you. And, and, and what happened was men would just dismiss their failures by saying, that's what men do. That's just being a man, you know. You know, if you want to hug, go see your mother. And that's what we do today. We try to excuse our sins. We try to dismiss ourselves from guilt. We don't see the seriousness of it. You know, we look at all of these different sins and understanding that your sin might be different than the sin of somebody else, but it flows from the same corrupt fountain or cesspool that all of the other sins come from. And, and just pretending that this is normal doesn't make it right. And making it lawful does not make it right. And don't, don't miss what I'm about to say. As you look at the sins on this list here, you know what we generally do? We want to argue about what sin is the worst. That's what most people want to do. We look, we look at that sin, we look at the homosexuals, and we say to ourselves, oh, well, boy, that's as bad as it gets. In case you're wondering, let me tell you, that is as vile and filthy and unnatural and sinful and hideous and rotten as hell itself. I don't, I don't want you to go away wondering what I think about it or wondering what God thinks about it. He says it's an abomination. It's something that makes God sick to His stomach. But you need to understand that's not the only thing that's an abomination in the sight of God. 
Because so many times we look at this list of sin, and we want to start arguing about what sin is the worst. But I want you to notice that we haven't got to the bottom of the barrel until we get down to verse number 32. And I want you to look at that. Verse number 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I hope you get the picture because this takes us to the bottom of the barrel, and that is whenever we start approving of those that sin. In other words, we condone what God condemns. We're in trouble. And we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. I was telling someone earlier, I just read, I believe it was yesterday, about the Mardi Gras and one of the newscasters was talking to someone, interviewing someone about the Mardi Gras. And they said, yeah, I said, it's sinful and it's degradation and we love it. What a commentary that is on the world that we live in today. We know what it is. We know it's wrong. And that's what he's saying about these people here. Knowing the judgment of God. They know that. And they commit such things, notice, that are worthy of death. But notice, not only do they do the same These things that they know are deserving of death, these things that displease God, they know that and they do it. But notice, they take pleasure in them that do them. When I say we're in trouble, I I don't mean that it's sad because Grandma is sitting alone in a stinking nursing home somewhere because nobody cares and nobody will come and see her or nobody will help her in her time of need. I don't mean that. And whenever I say that that we're in trouble, I'm not talking about wives that are bruised and battered. I'm not talking about that. When I say we're in trouble, I'm not talking about little children Innocent children that are neglected and abused in the most awful ways. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something worse than any of those things. And maybe you're still back there on that list part and you're thinking about your list and you're thinking, oh, it can't get any worse than that, but it it does get worse than that. You see, the worst thing about your sin is not what it does to you and not what it does to other people. That's horrible, it's terrible, it's awful. But that's not the worst thing about your sin. The worst thing about your sin is the fact that it offends a holy God. It's an abomination in His sight. And the mind of man simply cannot comprehend the depths of His depravity, nor the heights of God's holiness. In other words, there is such a gap between us and God that we we don't have words to describe how great the difference is. The sin that is the smallest, slightest sin that you can imagine 
deserves to be tormented in hell for all of eternity. What's the solution? Well, as surprising as it might seem, the solution for every sin, the solution for every sinner is that it requires exactly the same sacrifice for telling a lie as it does for being a homosexual, a child molester, a murderer, or anything else you can think of. That's the only solution. And that solution is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at Calvary to save us from our sins. And how dare we sit back void of natural affection for members of our own family, not concerned about them at all unless it helps us achieve what we want in life. You see, we condition our love for others based upon what we get out of them. If we don't get what we want, we, uh, we don't have any time and any affection for them. And I'm telling you that it requires the same sacrifice for your sin as it does for any other sin that you can imagine. And the bottom of the barrel, according to what he tells us here in verse number 32, is whenever we stand back and not only, not only take pleasure in our sin, but we heartily applaud the sin of others. In other words, we voice our approval publicly. We let it be known. You know, I, you know, the one crowd might say, you know, come on out of the closet. That'll, and everybody's happy because somebody comes out of the closet. And even on national TV, with our own president applauding someone, for coming out of the closet and stating what their particular sin is. And we know, folks, that we have reached rock bottom whenever we get to that place that rather than stand up and protest sin, we applaud their sin. And that's what's going on in the world today. And we see families falling apart right and left. Why? Because they're without any natural affection. When the Bible talks about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for it. I mean, right there is our pattern for loving one another that we give of ourselves sacrificially to provide and protect that other person. It tells the wives to love the husbands. It tells the children to respect and obey and honor their parents. And it tells the parents, you know, how to be good parents to their children. And we, we look around and see what's happened to the family today in some way or another you know, the preacher can get up and preach about a certain sin, and there's some folks, if I get on certain sins, you'll shout yourself hoarse, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. I mean, boy, I mean, that's, yeah, deal, deal with it, preacher. I mean, that's it. You're right. 
What about we get on your sin of not having any affection for your own family? No natural affection. I'm telling you, folks, if that describes your relationship to your family, you've got a serious sin problem. There's only one solution, and it's exactly the same solution that it is for any of those other sinners. It's Romans 6, verse 23. says the wages of sin is death. And that's what God tells us here. He says, I gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are inconvenient or unbecoming. They wanted their sin. I'll let them have their sin. The wages of sin is death. But listen, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the only solution for our sin is for us to put our trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We put too much confidence in the profession of people nowadays. Somebody just walks down the aisle and says, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, and boy, you know, wonderful, wonderful. You know, now I know we don't come out and say it, but sometimes you feel like saying, prove it. Because let me tell you, God's putting you to the test. And that's why the Bible over and over and over again says, Be not deceived. What do you say, Brother Bessona? Some of those things that you've mentioned here, you know, I, you know, I'm a Christian and I don't see anything wrong with those things. What are you going to base your salvation on? Your feelings or the facts of the Bible? You can't depend on your feelings. There are people in prison that I, they're psychopaths. It wouldn't bother them one bit to slit your throat. They wouldn't lose a minute of sleep over that. It wouldn't bother them. That doesn't make it right. There are cannibals in this world that would eat human flesh, but that doesn't make it right. We need to examine ourselves in the light of God's Word. And we, listen, especially those that, that are parents. We need to be honest about whether or not we've lost that natural affection for our own children and our, and our own family. Because there's no way to go but down until we make it right with God. And the only way to make it right with God is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only by trusting Him can we be delivered from our sin. Let's stand together. Father, forgive us of taking sin so lightly. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, of, of, of failing to even examine our lives. As we look around us and we think about the rotten condition of the world in which we live, and it's so easy for us to jump on a bandwagon and condemn everybody else, but I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will force each and every one of us just to, to stop and to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves. And Lord, we just pray that He might do a work in our heart and reveal to us our shortcomings 
And Lord, this morning, that for those that have been saved, but yet due to their lack of love for you, their love for others is lacking, I pray this morning they'll repent of their sins. And then, Lord, for those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that even right now, this morning, before they leave this building, that they'll put their faith in His shed blood and be born again and become a new creature in Christ Jesus. For we ask it in His name, and for Your sake we, we pray these things this morning, that You might be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, Amen.